left up to our own devices will do anything for relationships people stay in horrible relationships destructive relationships because the need for human interaction on a close personal level is so great so what do we do with this need for relationship well i believe that the bible teaches us very clearly that we need to satisfy our need for relationship with community It shouldn't surprise you that people need other people, that relationships are essential to life. In fact, a baby will die without personal touch and connection. In today's message, Pastor Daniel shares that your need for deep personal connection is met in community. You'll learn that God designed the church to be part of that community for you. Because of Jesus, the people of the church become a family, growing, changing, and working together. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Acts chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Need for Relationship. So we're seeking to learn the art of living. We've based this series on Jesus' greatest commandment, that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We keep saying, and I'll keep saying it, that each one of us lives in three directions. We live upward, we live inward, and we live outward. We live upward by loving God. We live inward by loving ourselves, and then we live outward by loving our neighbor. All the way through, we've been learning that the key to the art of living is walking and knowing God. When we looked at living upwards, we focused our attention on God the Father and his work of creation, right? Because God created and sustains everything. When we looked at living inward, loving ourselves, we focused on God the Son, Jesus Christ. And we saw that the key to understanding ourselves, to truly loving ourselves, is the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. You will never properly love yourself until you see yourself through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb, because God determined that that's the only way for us to understand ourselves, to see ourselves both as created in God's image and likeness, but also fatally flawed and in need of saving. The cross shows us that. And now we're in this last section, living outward, and our focus has been upon God the Spirit, And we've been focusing on the reality that in order for us to live outward, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen that living outward is about us living in the world and meeting the world at its places of greatest need. We saw that the art of living in regards to loving others as we love ourselves because of God's love, that the world needs our service. Us saying we're willing to roll up our sleeves and be involved, not as a taker, but as a giver. We saw in our last message that what the world also needs is our creativity. 
not us being creative, but us stepping into the ways that God has made us creative. Each one of us is different with a different set of gifts that God wants us to use to bring blessings into the world. Now, when you think about the idea of living outward, living in the world, very quickly we realize that every single one of us is hardwired for relationships. It's part of who we are. Relationships are both the most beautiful and the most challenging part of our existence. We crave that connection with another person. And all of the research from psychologists and sociologists, developmental biologists, is that one of the keys to human flourishing is actually relationships. When a child is developing without the basic protections of a safe family life, so many things get wired in the ways that they are not meant to be. People who have close personal relationships, no matter what the other details of their world is, those close personal relationships end up being a stabilizing factor, a factor that brings tremendous happiness and joy. See, we are hardwired for relationships because God is relational at the essence of who he is. You got to remember that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, as the Christian creed tells us, has been in relationship before the foundation of the earth, and all of creation is an outgrowth of that relationship. And if we were created in the image and likeness of God, each one of us was created for relationship. Remember that Adam, when God created him, he named all of the animals. But then it says, but there was not a helper comparable to him. And so God created Eve. Because Adam needed to realize that in all of God's creation, there was not a companion, a Deep relation. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that dogs are man's best friend, or so they say. But really, the beauty of a dog, and I heard this yesterday, you know, it's like if you lock your wife in the closet or the dog in the closet, who's going to be happy to see you when you let him out? <laughs> and so you could lock your dog in the closet, and the dog is so stoked to see you when you get out. You lock your wife in the closet. When you go get her, you better be wearing a helmet, right? <laughs> And that's like, so, I don't know how I got on that, but that's a good one, right? <laughs> but it's like, you know, dogs are cool, but they're good pets, but that's not a companion. Because we shouldn't be able to lock the person closest to us in the closet and they still love us. There's a problem there. So we're all wired for relationships. And let's be honest, if you look at the wounds in your heart, almost all of them are relationally based, aren't they? The areas of the biggest scar tissue have relationships all over it. A failed relationship, a relationship where someone let you down, where someone didn't end up being as advertised, right? The loss of relationships, such a vulnerable part of our lives. And so each one of us, left up to our own devices, will do anything for relationships. People stay in horrible relationships, destructive relationships, because the need for human interaction on a close personal level is so great. So what do we do with this need for relationship? Well, I believe that the Bible teaches us very clearly that we need to satisfy our need for relationship with community. With community. Now that word community, it literally just means a gathering together of people. 
But what you find is that on the day of Pentecost, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, right away the Spirit fell and God started to move, and then right away there's a discussion about community. Or in the Bible, the community is church. Not church, the building, but church, the people. See, God's plan for relationship for us is not only a a marriage where you have a family, but also an extended family that has nothing to do with the passing on of human DNA, but a family that is joined together because of the finished work of Jesus. A family that doesn't have one ethnicity, but contains every ethnicity. A family that doesn't have one socioeconomic status, but one that contains all of them together. A family that goes beyond tribe, that goes beyond background, that goes beyond geographic location. The Spirit of God applies the finished work of Jesus to your life and my life and puts us into this thing called church, the community, the family of God. And so I want to show this to you because really what the world needs is for the people of God to be church. Now let me ask you, remember I said how relationships are often the greatest area scar tissue? How many of you have gone through some Nasty stuff in church. Why? Because the church is full of people. And the people of God are still in the process of becoming. I always tell people, because when people are coming on staff at church, I always say, now, if they've never worked at church before, I'm like, you realize that when we gather together on a Sunday, in some ways it's like the wedding day. At best, everything goes off good. I'm like, but all week long, your job is to actually get ready for the wedding day. And if you've ever been around someone who's getting married, the week leading up to the wedding day is normally pretty hairy, so to speak. The dress doesn't fit, and they get the wrong cummerbunds, and the bride is actually bridezilla sometimes. And, you know, the whole thing is a mess. And I'm like, look, if that's going to taint your experience of being part of the church by seeing behind the scenes, realizing that there's all these family issues and all this stuff, then working at church can be pretty disconcerting. But we have to remember that the church is the bride of Jesus being prepared for the wedding day. And the wedding day really isn't Sunday. The wedding day is the return of Jesus. And so the problem with church in the day and age and every day and age is that we're not there yet. We're in the process of becoming, and it can be kind of a messy situation. But when the Spirit of God was poured out, Church happened. You want to see it? Open up in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to focus on verses 42 to 47. Kind of a classic passage. A beautiful passage. And we're going to look at things about what it means to be in community as the Bible has explained it to us. So the book of Acts is in your New Testament. You have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have the book of Acts. So it's in between the Gospels and Paul's letters. So this is pretty easy to find. Chapter 2. Look at what it says. Picking up in verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. 
Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, in context, the Spirit of God had just been poured out, the day of Pentecost, right? And all these people were gathered together, and Peter, who had just recently denied the Lord, and the Lord restored him over that fellowship meal at the Sea of Galilee, he stood on up and he proclaimed the message of Jesus. And it says, and 3,000 people got saved that day. And then right from that moment, we move to this passage which talks about the community of God, the people of God. Newly filled with the Holy Spirit, right away it says, and they, in verse 42, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Some of your translations have the word devoted, which means to be steadfast or single-minded on a course of action. And they were, the spirit-filled community of God was focused on four things, right? The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, which is the type of community God wants to see all of us in. So I'm going to take each one of these. I want to show you some things about it. First, I want you to notice that biblical community is rooted in God's word. It's rooted in God's word. See, this is important because you say, okay, so I satisfy my need for relationships with community. So I got my community at the gym. I got my community at my job. I got my community in my neighborhood. I got my community at the soccer field. I got my community with my fantasy football team and friends. And I got my community in all these different places. But, and all those communities are good. I'm not saying that they're bad, but they're actually not God's ordained community for his people. First and foremost, the community that God wants each one of us to be part of is a community that is rooted in God's word. Here it says the apostles' doctrine, because you have to realize that at the time that this happened, they had the writings of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, which were the Jewish scriptures, right? And when the day of Pentecost happens, none of the New Testament existed, There was not one of the letters that we read now from Matthew to the book of Revelation, what we call the New Testament. Not one of those letters were written. They were actually just living it. And so the apostles' doctrine were the teachings of the apostles. Those people who had walked with Jesus in his earthly ministry, they would tell the stories, what we now have as our gospels. They would apply the teachings of those stories to our life, which is now what we have as the epistles. See, the early church was, they continued steadfastly. They were devoted to God's revealed truth, both the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and the oral teaching of the apostles, which now we have in our Bibles as the New Testament. Now, why is this important? Because God's family needs to be rooted in God's truth. And the only place you're going to get God's truth is in God's word. 
And that is why there is no book in history that has had so much and so consistent an attack on it as God's word. You have to realize that. See, there is not a book that has more manuscripts, ancient manuscripts, than the Bible. And there's not a book that is more hotly contested than what's in the Bible. Why? Because the Bible teaches this is who God is, and this is humanity is, and this is what God desires and how we should live. How many of you have ever been challenged reading the Bible? Pretty much everybody. Why? Because God's way is different from the way of humans. And we live in a generation where people don't want to be challenged. People feel like if you challenge them, you don't love them. Whereas the Bible actually teaches if you love somebody, you will challenge them. Because you actually care about them. And God's word does confront each one of us. But we need to be people of the word. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. The Apostle Peter writes, as newborn babes desiring the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So God's word is spoken of as milk for a newborn baby. The only thing a baby needs to survive for a long time is the milk of his mother. Later on in the Bible, the word is called both bread and meat, right? Jesus talked about, of course, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And bread was a staple food in his culture. And then we have the meat of the word. And so the idea is, is that spiritually, this book, from Genesis to Revelation, God's word is all that you need to be nourished in your soul. It will teach you who God is and who you are. It will reveal to you the character and personality of God and also your own character and your own personality. And God's biblical community needs to be rooted in God's word so that that we make sure that we don't go off the rails. And one of the things I love about Crossroads, Pastor Bill Ritchie, for almost 40 years and going forward, we're always going to teach you God's word. Normally we go straight through books. Why? We have to deal with everything in there. We go straight through books so that we can't skip over anything. You don't let the pastor get on a hobby horse about this thing so he doesn't have to talk about this. No, you have to talk about all of it. You have to deal with what it says. We need that for our lives because left to our own devices, we are going to skip over some things. There are things that we prefer and there are things that we wish weren't there. But when you are part of a community that's rooted in God's word, you just got to deal with all of it. We got to figure out what we're going to do with God's word. And we've taken the position here at Crossroads, it was founded this way, that God's word is God's word and we're not going to mess around with it. We're just going to say, this is what it says, this is what it means, and how do we live like it? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, speaking, Paul speaking to Timothy, says, And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the work of the church is that the word gets taught and it gets disseminated to people who can disseminate it to people. To dis- This is what you call discipleship. Where God's word is taken and taught so that people can then take it and teach it and take it and teach it and it keeps continuing on. Now, if you skip down to verse 43, the teaching and the work of the apostles 
It says, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So the work of the apostles was to teach the truth and awe or fear came upon every soul. People were moved to awe and fear because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the apostles authenticated their message with many signs and wonders, which you read and see all through the Bible. So community has to be rooted in God's word. Secondly, it says not only they continue in the apostles' doctrine, but in fellowship, which I would say that true biblical community tends to itself. It tends to itself. It is takes care of itself. This idea of fellowship, in the Greek, it's the word koinonia, which comes from the word koinos, which literally means common. It means that people have a partnership, a sharing. If you move down a little bit in these verses, it says, now all who believed were together, in verse 44, and had all things in common, there's that word, and we get koinonia from it. it, has all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. That's why I say that true biblical community tends to itself, where people take care of one another. And this is important because if you think about the family of God, the people of God, everything we have, we share. My friend David Guzik, who's a great pastor and Bible teacher, said it this way, he says, as Christians, we share the same Lord Jesus. We share the same guide for life, the Bible. We share the same love for God. We share the same desires to worship him. We share the same struggles. We share the same victories. We share the same job of living for him. And we share the same joy of communicating the gospel to others. We know in the book of Ephesians, you have that there's one Lord and one spirit, and one baptism and all the sea. So the idea is because everything we have, we share from the Lord, then true biblical communities should take care of one another, care for each other. And that becomes a very challenging thing, doesn't it, in our generation? Because of course you, you hear this and you think, okay, so if you become a Christian, you're not allowed to have any personal possessions. And the answer to that is... Of course you're allowed to have personal possessions. Look at what it says. It says, now, verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. See, the Bible places a premium on the individual's ability to have personal property that actually all through your Bible is actually protected. But then the question is, is what do you do with your personal property? And we find here in this fill with the spirit church that they looked out for each other's needs and when there was a need someone would go and sell something they had to provide for other people which is actually a quite beautiful way to administer your possessions isn't it you don't have to do it it's not legislated but you get to do it Jesus is You've been listening to Pastor Daniel Fusco on Jesus Is Real Radio. We're so glad you tuned in today. I want to tell you about a new book that's being released soon. It's called Crazy Happy, Nine Surprising Ways to Live the Truly Beautiful Life. And it's authored by Pastor Daniel. 
you'll be telling you some important information about this crazy notion of living a happy life. In fact, I'll just let him tell you all about it. Thanks, Josh. Have you ever wondered why the happiness that comes from experiencing like eating great food or hanging out with friends is so fleeting? And why we are always searching for more happiness and trying to deal with all the stress in our life? I know I have been there. So I did a deep dive into God's plan for our lasting happiness and how we can get there. I put it all in a new book called Crazy Happy, Nine Surprising Ways to Live the Truly Beautiful Life. And I believe if you get a copy and read it, it will change your life. Josh is here to tell you more about how you can grab your copy. What an exciting book. If you're ready to give up that life of dissatisfaction and grab hold of true happiness in Jesus, then this book will give you the keys for doing just that. And right now, you can pre-order Crazy Happy before it releases on February 16th. Just go to danielfusco.com. You'll find a list of retailers offering this book for pre-order, and there are special offers only available to people who pre-order today. You can even pre-order it in audiobook format. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called The Art of Living. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.